Hello, and welcome to the Her and Him podcast. I'm Dale. And I'm Tamara. And when two theologians get married, what you get is a podcast. Well, we are just about four weeks away from the launch of our inaugural book that we have written together. Yes, we did it. (laughs) I can't believe it, but we did it. It's called Practicing Christian Compassion, 50 Devotions to Embody God's Grace in Your Daily Life. And uh, you should just basically stop what you're doing right now, pause this podcast, pull up your Amazon app, and pre-order it today. Better yet, pre-order like 6 to 40 copies for you and your family <laughs> members and you all of your friends. You can like... It's a good Christmas gift. Yes. It'll arrive in time for Christmas. It will, because if you order it, if you pre-order it, it'll get to you on the day of launch. Yes. So order as many as you'd like. We would be grateful and give them away as gifts. I'm sure everyone in your family is dying to read a devotional. This is the 2020 stocking stuffer that is really going to put you over the top with your family. So you're you going to be the wanna... coolest person in your family. <laughs> the coo- Thanks for you're the devotion, Grandma. Be so cool. <laughs> but anyways, we wrote a book of devotions about compassion. And that was a smart thing because compassion is very trendy right now. Well, that's just because we're trendy. <laughs> we, we are very, look at us. I just see what you're wearing right now. And I just say, that is on trend. So the, the Uggs I am... and the flannel nighty. <laughs> we are recording at night. Silas is asleep and I am in my pajamas and I have, boots on because it's cold (laughs) (laughs) this is podcasting from home it is so this is a 2020 vision right here where yeah work from home status exactly thank you covid right but compassion is a growing trend as i was saying (laughs) and it's interesting that it is it's just very trendy to be compassionate which I feel like that should have always been a trend, but it's been a growing trend the last couple of years. And I actually just read a report earlier today about uh, at least 50 Facebook groups have been started this year around the globe that uh, contain the word caremongering. And it's kind of a play on the phrase scaremongering or fearmongering. And there's at least 50 groups that have this in their title, and there, there's others that are involved in this kind of thing where uh, in a world of a global pandemic, communities are struggling. And so Facebook groups have been formed to rise to needs in the neighborhood and in the local community. And so this this trend of compassion is, is really on the rise. I mean, and there's a lot more talk of empathy and understanding in even corporate work settings, which is a good thing, I think. And uh, something called... Uh, Cause marketing has become a trend where basically if you watch ads these days, they're basically like a PSA with a logo on the end of them. That's been happening a lot. And sometimes I'll catch myself watching one of the ads on YouTube and I'm just trying to figure out what is actually being sold. You're like, what? What you trying to sell me? <laughs> right. You can't sell female empowerment. Like, yeah. that's not what you're selling me. What? What right. is the product? Yeah, it's it's. Oh, it's soap. Okay. You <laughs> think the one that I saw the other day? It, I was really captivated by the ad. It was great. And then I think I turned around to you and said, 
what are they selling me? I have no idea. But this was a really good ad. At the end, I think it was perfume. Oh, was it? I think so. (laughs) Nice. You can use racial justice to sell your fragrance. That's really the thing. And that's the part where it gets a little bit weird because when something becomes trendy, it can be used as a tool to gain social capital. And so really what starts as a trend has a tendency to become a commodity. And that's certainly become the case with something like compassion and empathy. And it's strange that something like compassion is something that is not only a trend, but now it is a commodity to gain social capital, whether on social media or in a conversation with somebody. And this is a a term that's emerging that we want to talk about today, and it's something called virtue signaling. Yeah, so virtue signaling is an action or a practice of publicly expressing opinions or sentiments intended to demonstrate your good character or the moral correctness of your position on a particular issue. And so your desire to express what is happening and stating your opinion in a public space is not your necess- correct opinion. Yes, your correct opinion is not necessarily motivated by your desire to be compassionate and empathetic, but rather it's motivated by your desire to see people see you be compassionate and empathetic. <laughs> so it has a lot less to do with the actual topic that you're expressing and a whole lot more to do with yourself and people liking you. And this usually happens on social media. Whenever there's some kind of critical issue or moment, uh, you can check the Twitter feeds, the Instagram feeds for people who are virtue signaling. Although it's not always on social media, sometimes you're just talking to a really annoying person who is just really telling you how they're right about stuff. And so it can happen in person, but it certainly is something that is very much cultivated in the social media space. Well, and I think we might actually see that happening with some of the ads that we were talking about, where in the end you have no idea what that product is or what it's actually selling because they're... They're investing a whole bunch of money in showing you what they're standing for. But that might just be to appeal to that group of people rather than that company genuinely caring about the topic they've put ad money behind. Right. So they're they're using that as a commodity because you are in it to make money and you're in it to make money by the widest margins. And so you're not just throwing money out there for the sake of it. This very targeted thing of saying, like, we spent this number of dollars on this advertisement, and we're hoping to get this many dollars back on that investment. And it's very calculated. And so at that point, it's of questionable sincerity. And at that point, it feels really icky. It feels icky to know you're watching something that feels compassionate and empathetic and sentimental but in the end it might just be for financial gain and that's that's not okay (laughs) that just feels gross yeah and it's not just large companies that are doing this oh no we're doing it as individuals too. yeah certainly because as uh, an individual on social media you can certainly frame whatever 
posts you have around the idea that you are basically trying to show people that you have the correct position on an important social issue. And so you just want to let everybody know that. And sometimes that's kind of framed in a positively toned social media lecture, whether that's on Instagram or a Twitter thread or whatever it might be. But actually, more often than not, what ends up being the case is it's actually a post that is full of outrage. And the reason for that is that basically, like, outrage gets more engagement. It gets more likes, it gets more shares, it gets more comments. And so if you're upset about the right issue, then that is going to get you more of a platform. And so under the guise of compassion, you're fighting for the little guy or this important issue, you feed into that outrage. And this is most often you see this of like a video taken selfie style of someone sitting in the the driver's seat of their car and they're just... They're just yelling about something for like for like eight minutes, whether it's like they're yelling about something that Trump did or they're yelling about covid restrictions and how it's hurting small businesses or they're yelling about this. or they're yelling about that for like eight minutes. They're basically capitalizing on the outrage in the name of compassion for whatever issue that they're fighting for. And really all it is is getting more eyeballs on them. And there's people who are have literally made a career out of this because you can monetize your social media audience once you have a large one. Yeah. And that's not to say that everyone who is ranting on social media about a particular issue is doing it for the sake of insincerity and monetization. But I will say when I rant on social media, that's what you're doing it it, for. It's always sincere. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) you mean you're not doing it for the money? No, I mean, I'm still waiting for the money to start rolling in. Maybe you're not ranting, right? Right, maybe I'm... You need to rant and rave a little bit differently. I mean, but it is a a danger for, like, us, who are often speaking into what's currently going on and trying to do so. Saying, like, hey, what's good wisdom wisdom here? What's uh, the biblical perspective on this? There is a temptation for us to get kind of too far in it and really kind of uh, not see the forest for the trees. On that, so that is a danger for anybody who has a platform that you want to voice what you believe to be the truth, but you want to do so in a way that isn't like clickbaity, outragey, insincere, just doing it for the likes kind of a thing. Yeah, and we can see that in a more personal setting, depending on what group you're interacting with. If you know, this group of people that you are talking to in the moment sits on one side of the issue and you kind of rant and complain about the other side, you're probably just doing it so that way you have some connecting point with those people. And I've seen that done on different occasions. And you can tell when people kind of go off on their tangents or soapboxes For the sake of riling up the people and knowing that in the end, you've now connected with them on on the terms of outrage. And so sometimes we just do that for social settings. Outrage is a great unifier. It is. It's true. That's what most of the conversations are, I feel like, this year, unfortunately, is not so much how to do it right or the best way to do it. It's, It's usually... 
being outraged at the way the other side is doing it. Yeah. And it it really becomes self-perpetuating a lot of the times. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So we want to take a step, step back and kind of get a Jesus perspective on this. And I don't know if you knew this, but Jesus is two things. I mean, he's a lot of things, but here are two of them. <laughs> he's only two things. He's very pro-compassion. What? And he's pretty anti-virtue signaling. If you were virtue signaling, he just might come and flip over your table <laughs> and throw all your money on the ground. <laughs> But in his Sermon on the Mount, he gives a pretty stern warning, actually in a number of places, to uh, the Pharisees, basically, but anyone who would be of a similar mindset to them. And there are many of us today who fall prey to some of the things that the Pharisees did. Pretty stern warning for their virtue signaling. And one of those comes in Matthew chapter 5, and these are verses 1 through 4. These are the words of Jesus. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they might be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do so that your left hand doesn't even know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And so he talks about giving to the needy in that particular instance. Then the very next verse, he says pretty much the exact same thing about even your prayer. And this is uh, Matthew 5, beginning at verse 5. He says that when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And when your father who sees in secret uh, sees you, he will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the, as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And so in all these situations, and later in this, this text, he even talks about fasting. I guess the Pharisees were were very keen on building their audience. They didn't have social media, so they just went out in the streets. You know, They would give to the needy, and they would literally blow trumpets to say, like, bum, ba, da, da, we gave to the needy. <laughs> or when they would pray, they would stand on the street corner and shout in Hebrew, at passersby, and when they would fast, they would put ash all over their face and make themselves look like they were dying. And so in every good thing they were doing, whether it was part of a worship towards God or it was a an apparent compassion towards others, they always made sure they had an audience. And for that reason, Jesus calls them hypocrites. Yeah, and that's because they're doing it for the show and they're doing it for the people and they're not doing it out of the genuine motivation of being compassionate or empathetic. And the reality of compassion is it costs you a lot. Like it's not always easy to be compassionate and it's not glamorous and it's not something that 
is easy to do. I think it takes sacrifice for you to genuinely be compassionate for somebody because it usually means you need to stop, you need to give up something, you need to give up time, you need to give up resources um, or energy just in some way in order to be compassionate. It's a giving of yourself to somebody else and you might be doing it and you don't receive any gratitude in return, you don't receive a card or a thank you And I think that's probably why the Pharisees did what they did. So that way they did receive those things because they wanted it to be known what they were doing. And Jesus speaks against that really strongly. Yeah. And really the the application to us today in our virtue signaling is just basically one to one. Like you can't be doing it for the likes. You can't be doing it for the story views. You can't be doing it for the hand clap emojis and the, what's the one with the the hands raised emojis? I just call them praise hands. The praise hands, the two hands. I'm sure that's not what they are. But. You can't be doing it for the praise hand emojis. Because really, if if that's your intent, and that's the heart behind it, even if it's relatively unintentional that that's your heart behind it, then you've negated the spiritual goodness and reward that that is a a byproduct of engaging in that compassion. Right. And even if you're not publicly sharing it on social media, but within groups, you are somehow letting it slip in that you gave X amount of dollars to an organization or you thought of someone who was in need and you're making sure that enters into the conversation somehow for the sake of people giving you accolades and telling you, you know, how great and sweet and kind and thoughtful you are. That's very similar to posting it on social media. Like we shouldn't be sharing it with people for the sake of them approving of us and for the sake of them seeing how great of a person we are. Because that goes against everything that Jesus speaks of. Our heart to be compassionate towards others is... For the glory of God and not for the glory of ourselves. Right. And so that's why Jesus says, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So his idea, the image there is that you're basically keeping it a secret anytime you're you're doing anything good. And when Jesus says that, he's not saying literally like you can never do anything good when somebody's looking. I mean, he's he's being a little bit hyperbolic in that sense because on the other hand, in this very same sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, if you go down a couple more paragraphs, he talks about how it it's a good thing when people see your acts of compassion and your good mm-hmm. deeds. And he says this in verses 14 through 16 of chapter 5. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And in other words, if you're doing good, compassionate things— Even if you're not doing it for the likes, it's not going to stay a secret for very long. It can't be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Oh, no. (laughs) I'm going to let it shine. (laughs) But they put it on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So when you do good deeds and people see your good deeds— they will give glory to God. 
And so it stands to reason that Jesus isn't telling us that we can only do good things when no one's looking. It's just that we shouldn't do them because people are looking. Right, and that's the big difference between genuine compassion and the common day understanding of virtue signaling. The difference is you are doing it for the glory of God. And if people know about it, that's okay. But you're not doing it for the sake of people knowing about it. Right. I'm not going to hide that lamp under a bushel. You don't do it. (laughs) And really what makes the difference between allowing people to see your good deeds being a good thing or being a bad thing is that purpose. Am I allowing people to see me do good things so that they can glorify me? Or am I doing good things so that when people see them, they will glorify God? That's the big heart question. And I think a lot of times it can look very similar from the outside and be very different in terms of your heart. And if we're being honest, there are other times where it's pretty transparent and we're not fooling anybody. Right. So where do you think this shows up in the church for us? Like what are some tangible examples where we see this happening? I think one of the common places that we can see virtue signaling maybe take over compassion is when it comes to short-term mission trips. And I've been on a few short-term missions trips and um, I know Dale has as well. And I've been on, I think, two long-term missions trips. But short-term missions trips have a different feel to them. And that's because you're going to another country and you're you're there short term. Like you're only there for maybe a week, maybe two weeks at the most. And a lot of the times we can see people engage in virtue signaling when it comes to their social media or even what they share after they come back from their mission trip. And that's where, you know, maybe you have a girl who's posting something with four or five orphan children in Africa And you share something like, wow, I went here to teach them and they taught me so much more. (laughs) I'm so (laughs) grateful for what I have. Yeah, like I'm so grateful that I get to go back to my country and have all of the amazing people in their impoverished state. (laughs) (laughs) And and I don't it's hard to know if people really think through those things, but before they post them. But I think that that temptation to share about what you've done and the good deeds you've done in another country with people less fortunate than you are becomes a really high temptation as opposed to genuinely going there with a desire to be compassionate and with a desire to serve and really be used by God there. And again, that's it's a little bit more difficult when it comes to short-term missions than long-term because I've even had conversations with people that had said, you know, we see a lot of missionaries come through and we see groups of people come through and they just want to take pictures with us and then they leave. Like it feels like a lot more tourism than it does actually a missions organization or a a goal to go and, and share the light of Christ with somebody. And I had even went into one part of South Africa where they told us no pictures allowed. And it was because of this. They felt like Americans would come back and just 
share their pictures and share these sad stories. And that wasn't the way that they wanted to be identified. That isn't the way that they wanted to be remembered or known uh, because they are grateful for what they have. So I think we can go into short-term missions with genuine hearts to make a difference and genuine hearts to see kingdom work done. But I, unfortunately, I think sometimes there's a lot of hype around short-term missions trips that is more for the tourism and more for people being able to say that they went to a place with less fortunate people and they made a difference. Yeah. I mean, and I've been on some of those short-term mission trips. I've been on a number of short terms and uh, there's some that have felt genuinely effective and like they were good. And there have been others. There's one in particular where I went to Europe and it really, it felt like a tourist trip with the side of virtue signaling. Mm. And I don't think that was like the intent behind it, but there honestly like wasn't that much for us to do in the whatever, like eight days that we were there. And so it felt like we were touring around and we were looking at some cool things and, you know, maybe we were doing, you know, one or two things in the community, but I just remember thinking like, wow, it was so expensive to send this group of like 11 of us over to Europe. You know, airfare is expensive, but room and board, food, the whole thing where we had fundraised for people to send us on this trip. And I just felt like not great about it. Just, you know, not having a sense that this was the best way to spend what limited resources we have to reach people for Jesus. It was to send this this group there. Uh, but there have been others that I felt like have been really good. Uh, like I've been to New Orleans a couple of times where there's a missions organization that is stationed there. And what's cool about it is that they are there all the time. And there's groups pretty much every week that come. And they're helping uh, basically rebuild homes and work on homes uh, in uh, a poorer part of New Orleans that has still, I don't even know how many years it's been, 15 years, 20 years, I can't remember, from Hurricane Katrina. Uh, and there are, there's still just these these neighborhoods that are just struggling. And so a major thing that they do is they build relationships with these homeowners uh, they pray with these homeowners, and then there are these groups of you know people that come through, and they're there for a week, and they paint the house or they help them uh, put in drywall, whatever it might be. Uh, and I felt like that was a really effective kind of use of effort and resources uh, in, in that case for the short-term teams. But but really, there there is this, I think, a major issue with a lot of short-term missions, where it is just like it's like a glorified vacation. Where you just prayed more than you would on a normal vacation. And I think that's that's the unfortunate thing about it. And I think there's ways that you can be effective in that and to share your stories. Maybe because if you you do go on a short-term trip or even a long-term uh, trip, there are people who are supporting that. And it's good to share with them what God is doing through their funds and through their yeah, their money. And so absolutely. to come back and report and to, to do all those things, but it can get real dicey for sure. Well, I think it just goes back to what a huge part of this podcast is. It's a heart issue. And 
people might not be able to identify the difference and you might appear really compassionate, but you know your heart and you know what it is that motivated you to go or what it is that has caused you to share certain things over other things. And at the end of the day, you're aware of the state of your heart. And I think that's really what we want to point out is our motivation needs to be checked pretty often in a lot of situations. And I think when it comes to compassion and whether it's genuine or not, we do need to sometimes just pause and check ourselves. Before you wreck yourself. Yes. But Dale, you had another example that you wanted to share about some pretty practical ways that we can be compassionate. Yeah, I think around the holidays, you know, this is this is like virtue signaling season. And so there's a number of ways you can do that. But I think one thing that our church does that's really cool that's not virtue signaling is we do this. It's called a Christmas gift mart where everybody in our church uh, donates Christmas gifts and we enable families to purchase those gifts at a really reduced price so that they can give those gifts to their children. And the reason why we sell them to them and not just give them is so that we can give parents that kind of sense of agency in the fact that they get to be the hero of the story. They get to be the one that bought the gift and give it to their kids. And it wasn't just this kind of kind of charity thing. But one of the things with that as a church is there's always this like big number of gifts that we're shooting to have donated so that we can put this event on. And this year we wanted to serve 500 families, which means we would need 2,500 gifts. And so that's the number we've been throwing out to our church. Like, hey, we got to get to this number. This is the goal. This is the big goal that we want. We want to be able to serve 500 families. Now, if we get to that number of gifts, or even if we get, you know, above that number of gifts, um, like you better believe we're going to be talking about it. Like we're going to be celebrating that. And we're going to be talking about like, hey, we were able to raise this number of gifts to serve this number of families. And you might say like, well, isn't that like letting the right hand know what the left hand is doing? Isn't that kind of a virtue signaling kind of a thing? And I, I don't think so. And I think really when we're talking about something like that and kind of celebrating the success of it, we're really doing that for kind of a twofold reason. And the first one is that, you know, really what gets celebrated gets repeated. We want to inspire everybody to take part in this. And so casting that vision and setting those metrics and saying like, hey, we got to those, um, what gets celebrated gets repeated. And really too, for a large goal like that, God is going to need to move in the hearts of a lot of people. And so kind of the second part of that is we want to celebrate the way that God has moved through the hearts of all of these people to reach that big goal that was kind of a very ambitious thing. Yeah, there's never anything wrong with sharing the details of how something went. Like if you're you're shooting for something big and you know it's only going to be God who does that, like that's something to be celebrated. And I don't think that is necessarily a distinct marker of virtue signaling. It certainly could be motivated incorrectly, but I don't think sharing updates with people, regardless of how it's happening, whether it's, you know, this specific example of a gift mart or even what happened on a missions trip, like it's great to share what God is doing. So we don't need to hide that. But again, we just need to go back to 
where our heart is and the motivation behind what we're sharing is. Right. I think another area where we get into trouble with this whole virtue signaling thing, beyond even just what we're donating, what we're serving in, what places we're going to, is really how we sit in judgment over what's even being taught in our churches. And I think that especially comes up when there's an issue on your heart, an issue of compassion about uh, whatever important need there is for people. And I can't tell you how many times this has been said to me where it's like, it's such a shame that we don't talk about this at our church. And really what they mean when they say that isn't that we don't talk about it. It's that the pastor doesn't preach on it literally all the time. So we judge the character of the pastor or the preacher or the staff or whatever it might be based on the sermons that they are or aren't preaching on an important social issue that is of personal significance to us. And you think about when it comes to social issues, there are really a lot of them. And not only examples of what we see in scripture, but even the examples that we're dealing with today, there's so many needs in our world. Like there's so many things that need to be cared for and need to be cared for well from orphans to widows. And, and then you even step into things like racial injustice and the homeless population and unclean water in other, other countries and people who are going without food or people who just need clothing. Like it's just so vast how great the need of humanity is. And the great thing about the body of Christ is that each one of us is supposed to serve a different role. And the Bible gives us that example of, you know, of the body itself and how one's a hand and one's a foot and one's an arm and one's a mouth. And and each each part of the body of Christ serves some different kind of a role. And I think we can see that in these issues of the needs that surround us. Like God might be putting something burning on your heart to care for the orphans. And that might not be what is taught from the pulpit every Sunday. And nor should it be. Because we should really be teaching the whole counsel of God. And we should be acting on certain things in in so far as we can. But the reality is one church cannot do it all in the same way that one individual cannot do it all. And so that's even why we have the big church where you have more than one church. And even expanding it that far, you have some churches that are really good about advocating for pro-life And you have others that are really good at advocating for the homeless population in their community. And you have others that are really good at advocating for the needs of an unreached people group somewhere else. And the reality is we need all of that. We need all of those churches to be focused and passionate in that area. So then in the end, the entire body of Christ can really begin to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And so it's easy for us when God has put something on our heart and has caused us 
to have this burning passion for something to then judge our church for not having that same burning passion. And in the end, it's very likely that God put it on your heart. So you move. So you do something. So you get involved and not for you to then just delegate that to your pastor because it's something that you think is very important. Yeah, and you mentioned that you know preachers need to teach the whole counsel of God, and certainly that's a weight that weighs on you know every pastor. And it should know, it should, and it's you know some are better than others at it, and we all have our own blind spots. But right, check it out. There's only 52 Sundays in a year. There's only about 30 to 45 minutes that your preacher is going to preach. At the end of the day, there is not enough time to go down to the granular level application of every conceivable situation, every conceivable social issue where the truth of God is going to apply. And even if there was, your pastor talking about it more doesn't necessarily equate to an effective response to where whatever that issue is like the, is that because he doesn't talk about it like like he lacks compassion so if he just talks about it and that's it that's the end of our responsibility and if God has put the, a burning passion with you for something that ha- isn't being talked about then you talk about it you instead of putting that on the pastor and saying that he's not good enough or not compassionate enough or doesn't care. Maybe God is is anointing you and appointing you for a specific purpose, not to be outraged by somebody else, but to actually move in a way to organize, to investigate, to you know, advocate and at some point where appropriate bring in your church leadership uh not so that they can have one more thing on their plates, but so that you can bring them into and enrich what they're doing through what you're, you're able to do with the passion that God has given you. Yeah. And to be confident that God can use you in that area. God can use you to do something great and to do something that is transformative and life changing because it is the Holy spirit. That's going to be able to provide that and move in those ways within whatever passion he has set within you. Right. I think one last virtue signaling issue we could talk about that really encompasses all issues is when it comes to money. Well, when it comes to giving, this is, I guess, a little bit more specifically, which is actually money anyways. But when it comes to giving, we certainly can fall into the temptation of Starting off with a very compassionate heart of seeing that mission, um, whether it be the church or a nonprofit or some other organization that you are financially supporting, where you're very compassionate and very excited about what's happening there. So you want to give of your resources to that thing. But then very quickly, we can use our money as a way to control what is happening 
in that organization or in that particular project. And if you find yourself wanting to control because you've given money, then it's very likely that you probably are struggling with virtue signaling versus I'm giving to this out of genuine compassion for what is going to happen through this ministry or through this work. Yeah, I've literally heard people say on more than one occasion, like as they're leaving a church because the pastor didn't do what they wanted them to do. Like, you know how much money I've given to this place over the years? And really, that's like, that's like an invalidating thing to the gifts that you've given that like what kind of heart were you giving with that 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 is something that you can throw in somebody's face and i think even on the opposite side of that like maybe you're just social media flexing like you're all about jesus you're all about the church you're all about getting involved you're all about what god is doing but then like you don't actually give financially then all of that becomes kind of an empty show you know in a sense and so I think money is a is a key component of this. So like what we give, uh, what we advocate for, how we serve, the reason for which we serve, all of these things can be done so with a, a sense of purpose, with a sense of compassion, or we can do all of them for show. And I think when we're really disproportionate in one and not in the other, there's something going on there. Or we can be strong in all of them, but we just have a, like, a really sucky attitude about it. All that to be said, just get out there and buy our book. It'll make you a better person. Buy 20 of them and then share it on social media if you really want to look like. No, actually share it in a picture with the book on top of your Bible. And that will make you a better person. That will be Virtue Signaling 101, so <laughs> please do not follow Dale's advice. In the end, we know that as Christians, we're all called to be compassionate and empathetic. That's a huge part of the mission of Jesus is to care for people. And so we should care for people, and it should be genuine. And we can easily fall into the trendiness of compassion and it end up being virtue signaling. But the way to stop that is to really just check our motivation and to check our hearts. And so we hope that this podcast has encouraged you to do that. And hopefully you do pick up a copy of our book and hopefully that will just be a journey that you can begin to walk down is how to be a compassionate person to share the love of Jesus more. Thanks for listening to the Her and Him podcast. If you enjoyed hanging out with us, consider subscribing to the podcast to receive it automatically each week. We'd also love it if you head over to iTunes to leave us a rating and review. And be sure to come visit us at herandhim.com where you'll find show notes for this episode, our blog, and other resources to help you experience the abundant life that Jesus promised us. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. 
Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ.